0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church again. Another beautiful Sunday morning in February. Uh, the second month into the year now, 2014. Praise be to God. Here in Dallas, Texas, today we got we're fe- February 2nd. Yeah, another 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 year. The Lord has given us another day. Every day that we get to. Live is a gift of God, it really is, every day. He gives us breath in our lungs to breathe, and He gives us a heart to beat in our chest, and, and every day that we live should be counted as another day that we can not only live, not only just breathe, not only use God's error and eat God's food. When I pray we'd consider it as day that we have to live, as a day that we get to live for Jesus, as a day we get to surrender to Him, as a day that we get to follow Him. Not just another day. The psalmist David said, Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And just as a side note, off the sermon for a moment, let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's a choice that we have to make. It's not easy to rejoice. Life is hard. Life is tough. People are mean. They're cruel. And people are going to do things that you don't like that they do. But David said, Let us rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what happens to us today, let us rejoice and be glad in the Lord Jesus Christ and let us live for Him and just not let it just be another day. Let not any day be a wasted day. Let it be a glorious day in the Lord. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer before we start our service, before I give you the title, I would love it if you would. Praise you, dear Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for your grace that you give us today, Lord, for your your, your heartbeats that you give us today, for your rest that you give us today, Lord God, because there are lots of people today that those that heartbeat and that breath will stop and those eyes will close, Lord, because I don't know what the statistic is. I know it's a lot, Lord, but hundreds, if not or thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people die every day. Well, again, hundreds and thousands are even born. But for those hundreds and thousands or thousands or whatever the number may be, not so good with math, Lord, there's lots of people out there that today will be their last day. They won't get another one. So Lord, I pray that everyone in everybody in here, Lord, everybody that's listening, Lord, would rejoice and be glad that this is the day that the Lord has made. Lord, I, I pray that we would you would help us right now, Lord, to focus on your word for the next hour or so that we're going to be teaching, Lord, and we're going to be going through the scriptures. I pray, Lord God, that we would just focus on you and listen to what you have to teach us, Lord. I pray that your word and what you did for us and your love for us would be all that matters starting now until the moment we die and we walk with you in eternity. God, I love you and I praise you and I thank you, Lord. And I just pray that you'd anoint this teaching, anoint this service, anoint, this, anoint your word into our hearts today, Lord God. I pray that as your word goes into our hearts, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word only, but we'd be doers of the word also. I praise you and thank you, Lord God. May you be honored In this place Lord as you sit here and as you know Lord unfortunately you know all of our thoughts Lord. I pray that we would just focus on you and that our thoughts even would be solely fixed on you starting now until forever praise you and thank you dear God in heaven in Jesus name we pray these things amen if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 that's where we're going to be this morning Matthew chapter 13 verses 31 through 35 we have so much scripture today, I'm going to forego the initial reading of these verses because we're going to read them. I have a little bit to start first, and then we're going to actually going to read them later. But we have so much scripture today. It's actually an abundant amount of scripture today. Uh, we're going to just forego these, these first 31, 35. Normally, I read it before. The title of our sermon today is The Mustard Seed and the Leaven. Now, in case you didn't know, I want you to. I'm going to point this out right away. The title, the mustard seed and the leaven, the mustard, the M in mustard should be capitalized, big as you can get it. And the L in leaven should be capitalized too, as big as you can get it, because the mustard seed <laughs> and the leaven mean something today in our scripture. And I hope you see what those things are. So just to recap, last week, as you all know, we studied Philippians chapter 2. We took a little detour. God had a a way that something he wanted to tell us all and we we got off the beaten track and today this week we're back in the parables and the teachings of Jesus Christ and so I just want to praise God right now for the way that he speaks to us because the the Lord knows exactly what we need to hear exactly when we need to hear it yeah so he's speaking are we listening and are our are our hearts open to what he's really saying that's all I'm asking we just need to be focused on that. He's got to speak and all the time. Are we focused and are we listening and are, are our hearts open to exactly what he wants to tell us? So remember a couple weeks ago, because I'm going back now past Philippians, I'm going back. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how in this whole chapter, Matthew chapter 13, we have a total of five. The kingdom of heaven is like parables. A total of. A couple weeks ago, we knocked out the first of those five kingdom of heaven is like parables. Now today, we're going to knock out parables 2 and 3 in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31, 32, and 33. We have the next two of the total of five parable of the kingdom of heaven is like. Today, we have the, our two kingdom of heaven is like parables. are one, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, verses 31 and verses 32. And the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, or leaven, or yeast, however your pronunciation, however you pronounce it, it's leaven, or leaven, or yeast, or a rising agent, better known as. <clears throat> so that's our two parables that we're going to study today. And in verses 34 and 35, we get another reason, just recapping the message for you here, just starting off with just a little, just a recap, uh, in verses 30 and four, 34 and 35, we get another reason Jesus speaks to us in parables. So it's an important note that I must make before I start teaching on verses 31 and 32 and 33. Verses 34, that's a good one. We we have understanding on that one. All we have to do is just read it. Verses 31, 32, and 33, a very important note. Jesus gives us two parables, but he does not give us the explanation to these parables that we're going to study today. So I'm going to go throughout the Bible, and I'm going to bring in other scriptures that parallel these same ideas that we're going to read right here in Matthew chapter 13, 31, 32, and 33 verses. Okay, But he, Jesus did not give us an explanation for these parables. So I'm going, to, I'm going to step out there, and you need to know something right away. Please know that without Jesus giving us the explanation to these parables... We cannot, nor can anyone, with a hundred percent certainty say, Thus saith the Lord, these are what these parables mean. Because if Jesus did not give us the interpretation to these parables, then all we have is the physical side of a spiritual idea that Jesus did not fill us in on. Just like, in a sense, nobody understands a hundred percent of everything the Bible says. No man, if he tells you he understands a hundred percent of everything that's in God's Word, he's lying to you. He's prideful because there's so many deep things that God has in His Word. And the Bible says clearly no man understands the mind of God. So we cannot understand fully a hundred percent of everything that God has written for us in the Bible. And you know what? Unlike other pastors, unlike other Christians, I'm trying not to be prideful here, and I'm really not. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not knowing 100% of everything that's in the Bible. Every word, what it means, and everything, and every idea, I'm okay with that. Because I'm okay with God being smarter than me. I'm okay with God being stronger than me. I'm okay with those type of things, because I'm just a man. I'm just a mortal man. My soul inside of me is eternal, but my physical man is only temporary. And my physical man and my physical brain can't know the 100% things of God because He's supernatural. And only the Spirit of God can know God anyway. So God is way smarter than us. And God is way stronger than us. And God is way superior to us in every single way, in every single area, in everything. Okay. So I'm okay with that. When I get to be with God in Christ forever in heaven, or or in the new heavens, wherever that is, once I finally meet him. If he wants to tell me every single meaning and every single thing in the Bible, then he can then. But as for right now, I'm okay with not knowing 100% of everything in the Bible. Saying all that, I'm going to do my best today, using the biblical text for support on something that I believe God showed me, Uh, to explain to you what I believe that God showed me the meaning the deeper spiritual meaning of these parables is but I will not say not even once this is what this means in these parables thus saith the Lord I got it absolutely we got it down I will not say it if anybody says it they're wrong but I will give you what I believe that God showed me. And then you make your determination, and you read it over, and you think, well, I can see that, or, oh, I can't see that. So anyway, on to our parables for today. We're going to read over both these parables in verses uh, 31 through 33, and we're going to discuss them. And they have a common theme, and I want you to be looking for that common theme. So let's read our verses, Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Jesus says, what it says here, another parable he, Jesus, put forth to them, saying, so this is Jesus speaking here, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast, leaven, however you say it, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened, or all risen or all overtaken. First, the parable of the mustard seed. I'm going to break down the physical ideas and we're going to talk about it. Go back to 31 and 32. You can look at it as I'm as I'm reading these little descriptive points here that Jesus gives us, because these very descriptive points, they kind of jumped out at me as I started read, reading Matthew 31 and 32 here, these verses. First, we have a mustard seed. Notice that's the very first thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So that's our very first key idea, the mustard seed. Keep that in your mind. A man takes it, and he plants it in his field. Notice we have the his field again. The man took it, planted it in it, his field this is going to be a key our very next point is going to be a very important key to understanding what the mustard seed is and the whole field whole idea it's jesus says it's the least of all the seeds okay that's very important that's gonna it's gonna be a huge part in how i believe what god showed me about what the mustard seed is very important so remember that it's the least of all the seeds fourth point when it's fully grown, it becomes greater than all the herbs and becomes a tree. Okay, that's also very important. That little mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, grows up and it becomes as big as a tree. And the fifth point, the birds come and nest in its branches. Now, just a little herb or just a little, just a little seedling or just a little tiny plant, the birds are not going to be able to come and nest in that in that plant. So we have an idea here. Let's take a little bit about the mustard seed first. Most Bible scholars believe that this plant that Jesus is referring to is called the black mustard seed or the black mustard plant, grown from the production or for the production of the condiments. You know, we all know we have mustard. But in biblical times, they used this black mustard seed. They they would raise it and they would produce it for the oil that it produced. The plant usually grew From this little tiny, 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 tiny seed, which is why Jesus used it. And the plant usually grew, even though it was this tiny, insignificant, little, simple seed, to a tree that grew 10 to 15 feet or high or bigger, with a main stem with branches strong enough to support birds. So we have this little, tiny, tiny, insignificant little seed that grows up to be a tree that could be 10 to 15 feet or bigger. That's, that's the main idea there. The parable of the leaven, or yeast. Second, if you want to go to verse 33, look over the points that God showed me on this one. First, we have the leaven. Jesus said, verse 33, the king of heaven is like leaven. That's our first point. Our second point, a woman who puts the leaven into some meal. And what does she do? She hides it in three measures of meal. Those are our three points there. A little bit about leaven. Okay, leaven is just, it's an active, it's a live yeast, it's a live agent, it's an organism, but it's not active until it's put into some type of substance, and then it's gotten to a certain temperature, and then it's mixed through these little insignificant, tiny little grains of sand, which we call leaven or yeast, is mixed into bread, and then you mix it into some dough, and you mix it up really good so that it's all throughout the whole thing, and you and it, once you do and it gets moisture, it activates. And then it starts to take over the, the dough that you have it in. And it starts to make that dough grow. So that's a little bit about leaven. <clears throat> the definition of leaven, and this is very important. So keep in mind this definition of leaven. It really plays a big part in today's scripture. There's five definitions. Dictionary.com. A substance as yeast or baking powder that causes fermentation and expansion of dough or batter. Two, fermented dough reserved for producing fermentation in a new batch of dough. Three, an element that produces an altering or a transforming influence. Verb, used with object. Notice that yeast is a transforming, has a transforming influence, which it does. It takes flat dough, and it transforms it into be a big loaf of bread and to add leaven to dough or batter and to cause it to rise 5 remember this one to permeate with an altering or transforming element so that's our yeast or leaven that Jesus is referring to here it has a transforming effect and Jesus says here in verse 33 the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leaven. That idea there is she put that leaven in there, that, that dough, she packed it all, she, she mixed it all up, and then after she left it, it was all leaven, which means it all was every piece of the dough was all expanded and it was all transformed with that transforming element and it was altered to be that big loaf of bread. Okay, The main theme of both of these parables that we see, the seed... The mustard seed and the yeast, we see a con. We see a constant theme in what is it? We take. We have a small, tiny, insignificant beginning of both the yeast and the mustard seed, which are tiny, insignificant. Just little. You wouldn't even notice them if you were walking down the street. They're just out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. They're just so tiny and insignificant. And what do we have as the end result of that mustard seed and the end result of that? Yeast is we have the mustard seed becoming huge. This small, insignificant, tiny little seed becoming huge. And the yeast, we have it being this sand-like nothingness, and when it's mixed in and everything, it totally consumes the dough it's in, and it's totally consuming, and it makes it huge as well, too. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like the constant theme of something tiny that gets huge and actually overtakes and is consumed. So now remember, just as a side thought before we get into a little deeper, Jesus gives us these physical parables, but we know better, we should know better by now, after all the parables we studied so far, that we know better than to take a physical parable and just to take it at face value. You may be saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, hold on a second. I thought we're supposed to read the Bible literally. Absolutely. We absolutely are. But we cannot take a physical parable without an explanation at face value because in every parable Jesus gave us that he gave us an explanation for, in the explanation Jesus always taught us that the physical idea of that parable had a deeper spiritual meaning. Okay, so we can't we know that Jesus is not just saying he's not just talking to us about senseless things like mustard seeds and yeast in the physical. Who cares about mustard seeds and yeast? What is the deeper spiritual meaning to the leaven and to the mustard seed? What are they? So if no parable that he gave that he gave explanation for. If no parable was just, you know, meant only the physical Why would any parable mean just a physical thing? They wouldn't. Parables were meant, as I said before, to communicate God's deeper spiritual meaning using a physical idea. So with all that said, all that said, I got you in suspense, I hope. What is the deeper spiritual meaning of the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven? Again, I won't say thus saith the Lord, but I'm going to put some evidence out there for you and you could be the judge of if you think I'm right or if you think well I don't really believe you Pastor Ed and that's okay cuz nobody really knows 100% what these parables mean 100%. But it but what I believe that the Lord showed me I at least believe I have one one possible deeper spiritual meaning. So before again we start if you look At these parables, and you just did any kind of research on these parables on the internet. You'll find, as to be is expected, that these parables that people have come up with have lots of different, what people think, deeper spiritual meanings. And that is again to be expected because Jesus didn't give us an explanation. People are going to read them and they might, you know, believe something or they might believe something. So all on the internet, there's all there's a very wide range of beliefs on what these parables mean, and there's even some crazy whacked out stuff as well, too. Um, before, before I get deep, verse 33, God just reminded me, I was supposed to say it earlier, but I forgot, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. Um, oh, actually, we'll get to that in a second. So I'm going to start breaking down these parables. I'm going to b- tell you what the Lord showed me first, what I believe that the Lord showed me first and then I'll get into all the biblical references as to why I believe God showed me what the leaven and what the mustard seed really are. Here you go, you ready? The mustard seed slash yeast, I believe that God showed me that those are a representation of heaven in Jesus Christ as he lived on the face of the planet, the kingdom of heaven. The sower slash woman, Hiding the yeast is a representation of God the Father planting Jesus Christ as a seed in the earth. That side note that God reminded me of earlier, we always have to back everything up by the Bible. Whether you think that I'm on or not, one thing that we know for sure of is that God is not a woman. Okay, We can't take 33 and say the king of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took. And yes, I, although I believe that the woman there is a representation of God as well as the sower, in, in the culture of Jesus' time, people knew, as we well know today, most women do the cooking. Most women do the cooking. Jesus was just giving a physical idea of something God did using a woman there. But if you go on the Internet, for sure enough, you will definitely see and find that people believe that this parable meant that God is a woman or a man or whatever had any gender, but because Jesus uses the parable here. And I guess I'm not alone in saying that, you know, where Jesus said a woman took and hit the uh, three measures of meal that, that people also believe that that's God as well too, but they believe that God is a woman. So even though we have the Bible, it's, you know, Jesus said, when you pray, Pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have all through the all through the epistles, James and John and, you know, the Apostle Paul all reference God as a father. Well, a father can't be a woman. A father is a male idea, is a male picture of God. So, but just before you jump on anything there, I believe that is a representation of God, but God is not a woman, as we can't find any support for that throughout all biblical texts that we have, period. Okay, so I'm going to read these texts here. The field. So we have the, the sower slash woman being a representation of God, sowing Jesus and putting Jesus into this meal. The mustard seed, I believe, is Jesus Christ that was sown into the ground, into the earth. Okay, The field and the meal where the yeast was hidden would be God's world, I believe. God's world, God planted Jesus, God planted the gospel in the world. And Jesus Christ was hidden and planted, you know, hidden in these three measures and planted as the mustard seed in the world. The birds of the air that we read about here that came and nested in the branches of the big mustard seed as it grew, I believe that that's us. The people that accept the message of Jesus Christ and are born again. We've come and we've put ourselves in the branches of Jesus Christ, which started as this small little insignificant mustard seed and grew to be this great and mighty tree. Now let me explain why I believe these things. Don't sit there and say, well, pastor, I think you're crazy. Well, I may be. I may be. I won't deny that. But before you say that, look at some biblical evidences that God showed me. So I believe that this could be. What I just said, these these reasons could be the way I said. So let's look at these parables um, and why I believe that Jesus Christ is the mustard seed slash leaven and the representation of the kingdom of heaven. First thing that led me to believe this way. First thing and first and foremost. When we can read from Genesis to Revelation, when do we ever read about the literal place of heaven, God making it tiny, and insignificant as a mustard seed, as a little tiny seed, and it growing to be this great big place that, you know, now that, you know, so big and so huge from this little thing. We don't read about it not one time anywhere. We know that Jesus Christ said, I'm leaving and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But that's a new place. That's the new heavens and that's the new earth. That's not the heavens that God is sitting in now. The heavens that we know that are up there now where God is have... He made them one way, and they're the same today as the first day that he made them. So we know right then and there that Jesus is not talking about the literal place of the kingdom of heaven where God dwells, because heaven's never changed. It's going to change in the end. The Bible says that God's going to destroy everything. He's going to wipe everything out again, and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. But the heavens that are now here are still there, and they've never changed since the beginning when God created them. Okay, and this is another thing that God showed me. So we know, like I said, Jesus is not talking about the literal place of the kingdom of heaven, for starters. Into what, as, as, to this belief that I, you know, that I put a forth across to you, God showed me this. Matthew chapter ten, verse seven. Look at these scriptures with me. Jesus told his disciples as they were going out to pray, out to preach, to say. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, obviously, the kingdom of heaven hadn't come to earth. The kingdom of heaven, the literal place where God dwells, hadn't come to earth. What is he saying? But but Jesus told his disciples to go out and to say, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3, In the days of John the Baptist, uh, He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, verses 2, uh, Matthew chapter three, verse one and two, and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that was John's message too. repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, in case you didn't know, I'm going to inform you Which you probably do know this. Maybe God's already revealed it to you. Who was John the Baptist, the forerunner of? And who were the disciples proclaiming to the world? Were they proclaiming the literal place of the kingdom of heaven? Or what was their message? They came to proclaim who? They came to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They came to promote Christ. Not convinced? It's okay. Look at these other scriptures that line up with Christ being the mustard seed, slash leaven in the parables, or the representation of heaven. Remember the characteristic of the small and insignificant beginning of the mustard seed and the leaven? Let's look at some other biblical texts, and let's look at some other biblical references that show us some characteristics about the life and about the, you know, the way in which Jesus Christ lived. First of all, where was he born? Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2. But you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth from me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from of everlasting. Look at there, Bethlehem, the smallest amongst all the whole land of Jerusalem and Israel. The smallest. So he came from the city that was the smallest city in all of Jerusalem. Who were his parents? Well, we remember they were Mary and Joseph. Joseph, his adoptive father, obviously, and Mary, his mother, whom God put the seed in and she grew. Well, who were they? Well, Mary was obviously a stay-at-home wife, uh, one that raised the children. And what was Joseph? He was a measly carpenter. They had no stature. They had no importance in society. In fact, remember when we read—I think it was a couple weeks ago—how the people in the city that were his kin, that were his relatives, they said, "Isn't this just Jesus, the son of a carpenter? Uh, carpenters, fishermen, kind of like garbage men nowadays. They really weren't—they really weren't the upstanding citizens of society like you know the people that we look highly upon in our world today. They were very lowly, very, very basic people. Nothing special. His birth. You guys remember where he was born?" in a mighty, mighty hospital, right? And he was born in a stable. The king of all the universe couldn't even be born in a hospital or amongst the midwives. He was born in a simple stable with nasty old goats and cows and whatever else they had there. Would they? I wouldn't be the place that I'd even want my son to be born, let alone the son of all the, the king of all the universe. I wouldn't want my son to be there. Yet Jesus was even born and a simple thing as a stable. His followers, remember, he started out with only a few. He started out with just a few, then it kind of worked up to 12. And then some multitudes were considered followers of his, but they weren't really intimate followers of her, of his. And remember about his followers, one important fact of his followers is that most of them were tax collectors and fishermen. Again, low rung of society jesus this great and mighty awesome king comes and he goes to proclaim the message of salvation to the whole world and what happens he gets himself some low-class citizens to proclaim that gospel wow wait a minute whoa holy camoly that's pretty that's pretty small and pretty insignificant if you look at his life and his beginnings and his ministry look at what jesus says about himself john 12 20 through 26 if you think well pastor i don't know i can't really see jesus as a seed John twelve twenty through 26. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, which was one of Jesus' disciples, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, in case you didn't know, the, the people were kind of always here and there trying to make Jesus the king. They were trying to make him the ruler of Israel. Okay, They were trying to really build him up more than he came to be in the flesh. They came to build him up, and they were going like, to make him a king and then make him kind of go against the Roman Empire. So Philip came, verse 22, and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew told, and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And he was speaking of his death there. okay, Verse 24, Most, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, now remember, he's speaking of himself, And he's speaking of his death here. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Remember that characteristic of that mustard seed? It was the tiniest of all seeds. It was planted in the ground and it came up to be this great and mighty tree that grew to be 10, 15 feet high and even taller where the birds of the... Error came and nested in it. Here he says here, if that piece of grain, that seed of grain dies, it becomes much grain. Let's see what God the Father in prophecy has to say about Christ's coming. And even more evidence, I believe, of the small and insignificance of Christ while he was on earth. If you guys want to go or you can just listen along, I've got the whole chapter here before me, Isaiah Chapter 53. Now I may be saying, wait a minute, this is a prophecy, Pastor Ed. This this prophecy is six to eight hundred years old. How is this prophecy gonna tell us about Jesus being insignificant? Well let's just look at how God looked at Christ coming. This is a messianic chapter in the Old Testament called Isaiah, and it's the chapter of fifty-three, and God starts saying here. He says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, for he, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the Christ who was to come, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Look at there, even God referred to the Messiah as a plant. As a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. that, That shows me a simple type person. It's not, you know, kind of just this, kind of actually, kind of homely, actually has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should even desire him. Kind of not, you know, everybody portrays Jesus to be this real handsome character, you know, and walking along and he's got this look behind him. Well, actually, Jesus really wasn't even that handsome, according to God. Actually, Jesus wasn't even to be beheld by the eyes as somebody that was going to be looked upon like, whoa, a supermodel. Because here God says of him that he has no beauty that we should desire him. Look at his stature. He he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. What does that mean? We did not esteem him. We did not consider him to be great. People in his life, as Jesus lived, did not consider Jesus to be great. Great. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay, we see another lowliness. He was smitten by God. He was afflicted. But verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. What does it mean to be oppressed? He was kept low. Oppression is something where you're held down, where you're meant to stay low. You have no significance. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb before the slaughter. A lamb going to the slaughter is not thought of. They're, they're insignificant. They're, they're gonna die. We don't care about them anymore. They're 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 gonna die. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, he died. Okay, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. So because of people's sins, transgression is a fancy word for sin. He was crushed. God killed him. Okay, and he and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And if you guys remember, Jesus basically at his death, he died. A, a brutal, horrible death on a cross. That wasn't a wealthy. That wasn't a. a, a that wasn't a, a way that a rich man, that a powerful person would die. That was a. That was a, That was a death of a of a of a nobody. That was a common criminal death. But with his rich at the death, if you guys remember, he was buried in a tomb. Nobody got a tomb but rich people. Okay, people that were lowly, people that have no stature, they got a unmarked grave usually. Jesus got a tomb that was hewn out of a wall. This was a very expensive thing, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering, to sin. So we have his death, right? Oh, we can cry about that. Oh my gosh. So sad. We can cry. He died. And it is true. It's so sad that he died. And he was so insignificant. Did you see the insignificance? He was, he was, wasn't even, people didn't even look at him like he was very important And oh, You know, he he was such so lowly there. But then we kind of see here just a little hint of, so although he was lowly, I don't know what, what, what next? Look at this. This is right here, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. He shall see his seed. But Wait a minute, I thought he just died. He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous, my righteous servant shall justify many. So wait a minute, he just died. How, how in the world is prolonging his days now. Wait a minute. Sounds like, sounds like something insignificant got big. Sounds like something insignificant and small got huge here. And, and look here. He shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. You know, we're not, if we planted a field and we got one head of grain that came up, that's not going to satisfy me. But if I sowed a field and I had an abundant harvest, that's going to satisfy me. So we see here just a little hint of insignificance to just overtakingly awesome, amazing fruit coming from what Jesus did. He goes on to say, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. See how we have a turn there. We have a small and insignificant beginning, and we have a great big humongous turn at the end, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And it says why? Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he is number and he was and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So again, Uh, You know, you be the judge, I'm just showing you what God said about him. And we actually have another account, another story that God actually gave through the prophet Daniel to a man named Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon, uh, where we have the Messiah, the Christ, actually portrayed in a different way now. We don't have him him portrayed as a, a plant, but he's actually portrayed here as this kind of this rock. So let's read. If you want to read with me or just listen along, I've got it all here. Daniel, uh, it's the Daniel prophecy, chapter 2, verse 31 through 44. And uh, here's the backdrop. Daniel was taken away into the king into the land of Babylon, where he was kept as a captive from the land of Judah in the in the time when God was mad with Israel and He made him He kind of you know conquered allowed their land to be conquered and the, the whole of the children of Israel were taken away to this foreign land where they were to be punished. And well, Daniel was one of those captives and he went away, but he's a mighty man of God. So he he soon found favor with this great king, king of Babylon, who was the most powerful king in all the world at the time, he ruled over more of the earth, and he was one of the most. He was the most powerful king ever to rule over the face of the planet, actually. And so, this great king, but he was a, he was a very mean king, and he was very evil. So he has this dream, and he calls in all the wise men and the music, and, and all the astrologers of the land to come in and give him the interpretation of this dream, even though he wouldn't tell them the interpretation of the dream. He said, if you can't even tell me the interpretation of the dream, even though I had it, then I'm going to just kill y'all. So nobody could tell it to him. He started having everybody killed. Before you know it, this I think this one guy says, he goes to Daniel and says, Daniel, this is what's going on. Can you do, you do you think you can help? Do you think you can interpret this king's dreams? So, you know, Daniel says some things. Anyway, he goes away. Anyway, God reveals King Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him, this great and mighty king, and God reveals this dream this uh, this nightmare, really, uh, as we'll see, it's really a nightmare, but it's a good thing on one, on one side, to Daniel. And Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I have the interpretation of your dream. And it's actually an interpretation of the end times. It's from, it's from Nebuchadnezzar to the end. And it's actually an interpretation of what God does in sending the Messiah to the earth. And let's see what happens. Let's see what the Messiah looks like in this dream. And he comes to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Oh, you, O oh king, were watching. And behold, a great image. This image, or this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. Its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone, all Right here's that stone now, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands. Why was that possible? Yes, that's right. It's a spiritual thing. God is cutting out a stone without physical hands, okay? This is God doing this. So you watched as the stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff uh, from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And that stone that struck that image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So we have this small, insignificant stone that was cut out without human hands, that it struck this mighty image, and it became this, right here, verse 35, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. So this small, tiny, insignificant stone was cut out. And as it rolled down and struck this image, it became a mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36, this is the dream. That was his dream. Now this is the interpretation of the dream. This is the dream, he, sa- he tells him. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold, he says to King Nebuchadnezzar. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom, which shall be as strong as iron, as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters, Everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet of toes, and partly of potter's clay, and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of iron shall not be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron, and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, and partly fragile. And you saw iron, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as the iron does not mix with the clay. Verse 44, here we get a picture of what that stone, what that little rock really was. Daniel gives this interpretation by God of what that stone really was. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, remember that stone was cut out, but without human hands, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Well, we know as a whole in the Bible, this is talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to reign, and he's going to set up a kingdom on earth, which is what he did back when he came almost 2,000 years ago. He started a kingdom on the face of the planet. And as his kingdom started to grow in people, people are going all over the face of the planet now. And as we see, we know in the end by the book of Revelation that Christ is going to come again. And he's going to destroy everything. And he's going to be the ruler over everything. He's going to rule and reign over everything in the end. Okay. So we have that stone, which was Christ, coming down and destroying all other kingdoms and setting up a mighty kingdom, which is going to basically take over the whole earth. So, Jesus Christ was small and insignificant in his earthly life. I hope you saw that. He was, totally. He he held no stature at all. Uh, But has he gone from small and insignificant in his earthly life to large and in charge in the heavens and upon the earth, as the parable implied of the leaven and the mustard seed? Well, let's look at Christianity as a whole on the face of the planet. In case you didn't know, Christianity has gone from Jesus Christ, this one man, insignificant small seed to spread to 12 disciples to spread to over the whole entire face of the planet earth unto every tribe and unto every tongue and unto every nation. Hundreds of millions of people all over the world have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior and surrendering Him. And even more than those hundreds of millions of peoples that have accepted Christ's message are the countless numbers who knows how many numbers that god has given the gospel to but they just haven't responded so in essence from this one man this one small insignificant person of christ who came and was a nothing it wasn't even seen by men as a handsome person insignificant a total nothing came what the whole world filled with the belief and the truth of jesus christ how does that How does that even happen from one guy that came and had these 12 insignificant, low-class society, fishermen, tax collectors, etc.? How does that happen? Did Christ get huge and in charge in heaven? And we already know the end times is going to tell us that Christ is going to rule and reign everything. Look at what God says of Christ in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 5-8. through For he, God, has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, listen to this, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him, being Jesus Christ, a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him, notice what God did here, you have crowned him, Jesus Christ, with glory and honor, and set him, Jesus Christ, over the works of your hands. And here's the capper in verse 8. Here's how God sees Jesus Christ right now. This lowly, insignificant person that came on the face of the planet, here's how God sees Jesus Christ right now. You have put all things in subjection under His, Jesus Christ's feet. Wait a minute. How does this lowly, insignificant person become to be in charge in every, everything? What does all things mean? All things is everything. How do all things become to be under subjection unto this little lowly, half insignificant guy that came on the face of the planet with these 12 nobodies that followed him? Listen to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We, we just read it last week. It should be very familiar to you. Let this mean mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Look at that there. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. What do we see there? We see a small insignificant, nothing came he did that to himself. he allowed that to be happen to himself although that he was the image of the invisible God, he came and made himself of no reputation. therefore look at here verse nine look let's look at another thing here. Did that low and insignificant person become mighty? verse 9. therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every. Name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see this small, insignificant Jesus who came as a bondservant, who humbled himself to the point of death, who was this nothing person in, in the eyes of man, That is, again, we even saw him as this, as, oh my, wow, he's kind of ugly, to, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that, by the way, we're going to talk about this at the end, you, me, you, everybody in the face of the planet that's ever lived or ever will live until Christ comes back, you will bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you want to or not, you will do it. Because God said, I've exalted him, and I've given him a name above every name. That at the name of him, you, me, everybody, will all bow, wait a minute, to this peasant, nothing, insignificant person, even call himself a seed? Hmm. Again, I won't say, thus saith the Lord, that Jesus Christ is the representation of the kingdom of heaven here in the leaven and the mustard seed in these parables. But is it just a coincidence that all these biblical scriptures line up the way they do in these parables? Again, you have to be the judge. I'm kind of like, this is what I believe God showed me, but you have to be the judge on whether you think that this is right or not. So with all that, I bet you might be thinking, Pastor Ed, you're crazy. Yeah, you could be thinking that. Again, I wouldn't even argue with you. And I will admit, it, it does sound kind of mysterious, and it does count, sound kind of secretive, you know? It, it really does. Which brings us to verse 34. Read verse 34 and 35 with me. <clears throat> All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. So you know he spoke these, these parables and multitude you know to these multitudes. all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through the prophet saying, "I, which the Christ was speaking, <clears throat> I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of of the world. So we even see that these parables here in essence were something that God kept secret from the foundations of the world. So yes, although the things that I talked to about today were kind of secretive and kind of, you know, kind of mysterious, that's actually what they were actually meant by God to be. They were they were the things that God meant to keep secret, that God had kept secret from the foundations of of the planet, isn't that amazing? Praise be to God. Which is another reason why Jesus gave the parables. So, whether or not, regardless of whether Jesus Christ was really the representation of the leaven or the mustard seed here in these parables, whether or not I'm right, or you know some other folks had other ideas too, I won't say. Thus saith the Lord, it still doesn't negate one thing that we already talked about. It doesn't doesn't stop that. So I want to switch our minds and our focus because you could be sitting there thinking, Pastor Ed, you know, I just can't believe you thought that. Again, I won't say thus saith the Lord. I'm not even 100% sold out on it myself. So don't be against me here. Just think, oh, you know, I could see that. I always wondered what those meant. Well, I, I guess that could be a possibility. But please focus with me here. Come into the end. Come on, we're closing. Okay, we're closing. Okay? Regardless of whether he is or he is not the leaven or the mustard seed we have to all know this philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember, Jesus himself said, not in parables, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. So regardless of what you believe here, despite what you've heard, maybe you've heard another teaching and you, you, know, you thought, well, that couldn't be too, or maybe that was it. off of that, where do each one of us stand with this mighty, mighty, mighty king. Because although, yes, Jesus did come as this small, insignificant person, God has exalted him so that at his name, every one of us will bow. Every one of us will confess his name as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where do you stand before him? Because nobody is getting to heaven unless we go through Jesus Christ. Unless our lives are in accordance with what He taught, unless our lives line up with what He said how we should be living, nobody is going to heaven. So I want you please to consider where you might be standing today with Jesus Christ, because if you're not surrendered unto Him and He's not your Lord, if you don't live for Him, because in my eyes, you know, there's lots of doctrines all over the world today, unfortunately. Silly doctrines people make up. But really in the Bible, I read one constant theme. You either live for Christ or you don't live for Christ. And the Bible says that if you don't live for Him, you're living for yourself. And if you're living for yourself, that means you're not living for Him. And if you're not living for Him, the Bible says that you're choosing to live for you and God sees that you don't want Him that you don't want anything to do with Him, whether you have a belief in Him or not. You either decide, make a decision, and set your face like Flint to live for Christ, and I don't want to do, I just want to live for Christ, or you don't, and you live for you. So where, please examine yourselves today, does your life line up with the life of Jesus Christ or not? if it doesn't, the Bible says that you're in danger and even deceiving yourself, okay? You're deceiving yourself because you either, Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You either gather for me or you scatter abroad. This is a life of, I either sold out for Christ or I'm not sold out for Christ. Well, well, pastor, I'm in between, I, you know, I believe in him, you know, I, I'm going to church, you know, I, the Bible says, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold, because if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. So it's important that we always are looking at our lives, and we're always looking at ourselves and saying to ourselves, do I really live for Jesus Christ, or do I really live for myself? Who's important to me? Who is the Lord of my life? That's important as we close. Please examine yourself. Okay, just a little quick kind of interesting note God showed me just at the very end and it even took me a little bit too long to do but I did it and I just want to I just want to just want to you know put this across to you and actually let you help you help you think about things and help you think about even what I talked to you about today if if going back to our parables here if Jesus Christ Is really portrayed in today's message as the leaven. If he really is the leaven, that representation of the kingdom of heaven on earth, and if he really is that mustard seed, here's a really neat way to look at this. Here's a really neat thing to think about. Remember that fifth definition of leaven? I'll read it to you again to permeate with an altering or transforming element. Remember verse uh, Matthew chapter thir- uh, 13, verse 33, The woman hid the leaven in three measures of meal. Well, as far as I can decipher, what God kind of, I believe God kind of showed me this morning, is what we can see anyway, the two things we can see. We see, number one, that as Christ came, He transformed the world that we know today. If Christ didn't come, our world would not look like it did today, like it does today, excuse me. So he's definitely transformed the face of the planet, and you know just how society is. He's transformed our world that we live in today. That's that kind of could be one measure. Yeah. Measure number two that the woman could have hidden that you know leaven in, if Jesus was the leaven, would be people, because we know that Jesus said, "Unless you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven." We know that the Holy Spirit only was allowed to come and seal people. After the death of Christ, Christ going into the ground, that seed that grew up, and he said, only if I die will that spirit come, will that Holy Spirit come and dwell in men's hearts. So I could see the second measure as people. You know, the woman or, or God hiding that, you know, that Jesus or that Holy Spirit in people until it's all leavened. And we know that the life of a Christian, I know I don't become perfect when I accept Christ, when I turn to Christ, when I make him my Lord. But I definitely know that from me now to 14, 15 years ago, I am a radically transformed human being. In in the eyes of man and in the eyes of God. I'm a radically transformed person. So Jesus, in not only my life, but in lives of hundreds of millions of people all over the planet, has radically transformed people's lives over the face of the planet. I haven't quite figured out what that measure number three is. I I think it might be heaven because Jesus probably did radically transform heaven as well, too, when he got there. Well, since Jesus Christ came to earth, as I said, it was radically transformed. We see people being radically transformed all over the planet. And I have a question for you and me. We need to think about this. If that's true and Jesus Christ is that leaven, and if he's that kingdom of heaven representation on earth, are you one of the measures that God has hidden his holy son, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit in? How would you tell... Are you, since you, before you started believing in Jesus, to now, are you radically transformed? Because that look at that verse, Look, not verse, excuse me, look at that definition five of the definition of leaven. To permeate with an altering or transforming element. And we know that when Christ comes in, He transforms a person to be from what they were to a new creature in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Have you allowed God to hide Jesus Christ, the leaven, in you or not? We'll close with that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your word, Lord God. Thank you so much for your grace. And thank you so much, Lord God, for this these parables, Lord, and the secrets that you revealed to us from the foundations of the planet, Lord God. You, you, you These parables, Lord, were our secrets, Lord. You kept them secret, Lord. And I just thank you so much, Lord God, because you're such a deep treasure. Lord, as we'll see actually next week, you're such a deep treasure, Lord God. You're, so, you're such an intimate, deep treasure powerful treasure, Lord God, that if we tap into, Lord God, we could be the richest people in all of existence of ever existing, ever, including heaven forever. We'll be rich, Lord, because we know in the book of Revelation, Lord God, it says that as we, when we get there, well, we will have no more need of the sun or the moon or any stars because the sun, the sun Jesus Christ, will be our light. And we will sit before and bask in your light and your glory forever. All no more tears, no more pain, Lord Jesus, no more suffering, Lord. You are the greatest treasure that we could give. So Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord. I just ask, Lord God, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit to each one of us, Lord, and show us truth, Lord God. I pray we'd seek you. And I pray, Lord God, as Your Word says, Lord, because you, you are a man of Your Word, Lord, seek and you shall find. Lord, I pray that we would be seeking constantly, whether it seems like we're getting anywhere or not, Lord, because seeking is not easy. <laughs> seeking takes time, and for a while, when you seek, you may seem like may seem like you're not finding anything. But Lord, as you know, as we start to seek, you'll help us find so lord i pray that we would be seekers until the day we die seeking your face and learning more about you and surrendering more to you daily lord if there's any in my audience lord god that, that they could sit there and there and i don't know i don't know if i'm radically transformed well if you know if you're not sure that you are then you're not or right? because you definitely know the trend they would definitely know lord jesus the transformation of your Holy Spirit, what it makes in their lives, if they're interested in know, Lord, I pray that they would start seeking you. And, Lord, I pray that they would partake of the gift that you have given, Lord God, that they would partake and allow you to hide your leaven in their hearts, Lord God. I love you and I praise you. And I ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.